Health Matters with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Health Matters. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting with Jason Funt-Slot and his dad, Barry, about Jason's cystic fibrosis condition and the fact that Jason has not allowed this to define him, but rather has decided to become an ambassador for others with this life-threatening condition. This month is World Blood Donor Month, and the South African National Blood Service is running a campaign featuring some of those people who've benefited significantly from having received blood transfusions. Kanilwe Makoko is a recipient of blood, having been involved in a serious motor vehicle accident, and she'll be joining us a bit later to talk about her experience. And this month is also Men's Health Awareness Month, so this evening I'll be joined in studio by Marina Rifkin, a researcher from CareWorks HIV Management, who delivered a paper on medical male circumcision and the role of data in helping understand HIV at the recent HIV conference in Durban. And we'll also be joined on the line by Siobonga Zuma, and he's a young man who decided to go the medical male circumcision route. And just a reminder that there's a list of available documents for Health Matters. Just go to Facebook. It's Health Matters on SAFM. Leave a message if you'd like any of those or drop me a mail to healthmatters at safm.co.za and I'll send you the list. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Health Matters with Karen Key. Well, cystic fibrosis is a common inherited disease that occurs in all South African population groups. Unlike many other countries, there's no newborn screening program in South Africa for cystic fibrosis. Jason van Slot was diagnosed at the age of eight months, and by all accounts, his father instilled in him from a very young age the need to live life to the fullest and not to use his condition as an excuse. And now at the age of 20, Jason has recently completed the grueling Cape Epic, and him and his dad, Barry, join me now. Jason and Barry, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, good evening, Corin. Uh, Hello. Have I got hi, both, I've got both of you online, Jason and Barry. Yeah. Yeah, hi. Hello. Jason, first of all, congratulations on, on finishing something like the Cape Epic. I was reading about your ride and I was exhausted after the first paragraph. <laughs> Thank you very much. And Barry, this has been something that you've, <clears throat> I wouldn't say pushed, but you've encouraged Jason along the way. Absolutely. Um, he's got to live his dreams and, and um, as a parent, you just try and make, uh, make, make it possible to, to live life to the fullest. Now, from what I understand from having read up some on, on this, your story, Jason, that you were one of a twin, and your twin did not inherit cystic fibrosis. It was just you. Yes, that's correct. Um, uh, yeah, well, I got it, and she didn't, but it's never really been a factor in, or in our life or my life. And how how did you actually, you obviously got this from your father, was having to just get on with it, and basically you, you had cystic fibrosis, but that was not something that was going to follow you around. You were just going to get on with your life. How has cystic fibrosis impacted your life in any case? Um, well, uh, as a young child, I never, I, my parents didn't actually tell me the consequences of it. They just said that I... But I knew that I had it, but I didn't know what it meant to anything like that. And I, so as a as a kid, I knew how to take medicine and things like that. But it wasn't um, something that would make like how I chose to live my life. It'd just be an additive, as you could say. And I was brought up as a normal child, and as being, I think that's an influence how I've. Right up. 
Barry, you must be very proud of your son. Uh, absolutely. Um, I've actually, uh, I was a wreck at the end of the epic, but uh, <laughs> how, how deep he had to dig uh, mentally. Um, and in, in one of the interviews, I asked him, you know, did you ever think you wouldn't finish? He said, no, that was never an option. Uh, but watching him during that week was, uh, he had to dig really deep. And there were obviously plenty of complications with having cystic fibrosis and something so extreme. So we, we planned it and, it and it worked out, fortunately worked out well. Now, this couldn't have been easy because you have to eat at regular intervals, though, and take medication before you eat, though, Jason. And how did you cope with that on the ride? I would I keep looking at my bike computer and every 15 minutes I would uh, drink and then every half an hour I'd eat. Uh, more to digest my food, I'd have to take Creon, uh, which is a digestive enzyme, and I would eat and then take the Creon while I'm riding at the same time so that make sure that I win has up energy for based on during the ride. And Barry, this is, wasn't your this wasn't your first epic, or was it? Well, I, I didn't actually do it with him. I trained mm. with Jason. I've, I've done the epic before. Uh, so Jason's basically cut his teeth watching m- myself and his two uncles do it. And as a school project, he was a mechanic, a, a training mechanic. But uh, we got we got a very good friend, Philip, uh, who, who's, who's a super strong triathlete to ride with Jason. Uh, I thought it'd be better for him to have strong support instead of him uh, him having to lead me through the course. Uh, so Philip was a very great super domestique to Jason. And Jason, there was more to it than just writing the epic. I mean, there was a lot more behind this. You were raising funds. Tell me about the project, about why you were doing this, other than for the obviously the, the achievement for yourself. But there was a whole lot more to this than just your ride. Uh, yes, we. Well, I wanted to do it to uh, thank the Red Cross and for all the effort they put in and how they've like they've always had a such great standards and. Um, I want to thank them for what they've done for me. And in a way, I feel that it was a, a, a recognition for them in uh, me doing ethics. And I, I felt that it was a bit of a joint effort. Now, for people who aren't sure what the epic's all about, it's basically it's eight days and it's it's seven hundred and thirty nine kilometers. I mean, just reading that is making me tired. And the fact that somebody with with cystic fibrosis has achieved this, um, surely people kept telling you you couldn't do this. Uh, yes, there were uh, a few people who did. In fact, actually, um, well, my partner Philip, his dad is a medical doctor. He actually said it's done, and. I use it as motivation, actually, um, knowing that people say you can't be done and proving them wrong. I found myself along the way saying, you can do it, you can do it, um, prove them wrong, you know? Barry, because, I mean, the thing about cystic fibrosis, Barry, is that it's, it affects the lungs. And, you know, you're obviously going to be needing your lungs when you're pedaling for 739 kilometers over eight days. I mean, that's really besides your legs. Or I've read somewhere that Jason said the strongest muscle is the one between your ears, which I thought that was a fantastic quote. And I'm going to keep that if you don't mind. But, you know, for someone like your son to be doing something like this with his lungs not being supposedly at peak performance, um, how did you feel about that? Well, um I was intimately involved in the planning and, and in the training and all that. And we, we, we could, you know, the, you control the controllables, as I say, and you pray for the rest. 
Um, as it is, he had a lung bleed on the very last day on top of the last mountain. So, and Philip had been trained uh, that they just sat down and, and waited for, uh, you know, they just waited for the bleeding to stop and then carry on riding. Um, but, you know, it, it affects the lungs and the digestive system. And uh, there's so much, so, so many things that, that this disease actually tackles. And, and the weird thing is the, the people, the kids look like normal children. You know, you, 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 you can't see a genetic defect, um, which, which is just, uh, anyway, it, it makes it difficult to sell. And, and, and sometimes it's difficult to get people to understand uh, what the condition is. Because, you know, the child looks normal from the outside. Mm. Uh, it's a lot of hard work. And we're really trying to get the word out there and trying to get doctors to understand what it is. I was reading some information that actually said that certain forms of exercise are, are quite good for people who have cystic fibrosis. Yeah, the, the cycling, um, uh, you know, uh, worked out, especially leaning forward on the bike, it opens up the lungs. And, um, and it's, you, because you're using your lungs a lot, you, you're clearing a lot of the thick mucus that you have. And, uh, you know, as opposed to, to running, which is also very good for you, um, it's just a lot harder on the body, so it takes more out of you uh, doing running, and you know, as opposed to cycling, where the recovery is a lot quicker. Now you've raised you with this your 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 fundraising so far. You've managed to raise fifty nine thousand rand for the Cape Cystic Fibrosis Association, and that <clears throat> excuse me supports the Cystic Fibrosis Clinic at the Red Cross Children's Hospital. But you're going on to bigger things. You've got some more fundraising coming up in November. Tell me about that. Well, we, we're going to be doing the, um, the, the 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 double century. Sorry, we're going to be doing the double century, and just as a team of twelve, creating awareness. And uh, I've got uh, another thing up my sleeve with the August, but I haven't spoken to them yet, so I'm, I'm going to keep that one under wraps. And and the whole thing is uh, to ra- to raise awareness, and we're just uh, starting more of a cycling team now um, to have more kids with CF join the cycling team so that they use sport as a conduit to, to, to a healthier living. Jason, you must, for younger children, be something of an icon for children with cystic fibrosis to look up to, to say, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Because I think when you were born, I think your parents were told you wouldn't make it to your 10th birthday. Is that correct? Uh, they didn't actually tell me. Um, like I said, they didn't. No, your pa- I think your parents were told that. I didn't say you were told that, but I think your parents were told that. Barry, is that right? Yeah, no, we were told 10. It mm. was prognosis. And, uh, and at 20, you're riding the Cape Epic. I mean, Jason, you are an absolute, you are an icon for all those young young people who think, well, you know, this is a, almost a death sentence, I think, when you, when you are, in some cases, when you're very young, are told that you have cystic fibrosis. And yet you have basically beaten all the odds. And it's possible. Yeah, I just think if you put your mind to it, and the thing with CF is if you not to let it control you, but manage it, and it's something that, yes, it is difficult to deal with, but it can be managed, and that's the best way to look at it. And you... Mental attitude and being positive is one of the most important things you can do. 
I was talking on the show a couple of weeks ago with somebody about psychoneuroimmunology, and he was a cancer survivor, and he talks about how he, with his mental attitude, he is getting over all of this, and he survived, and he's in remission, and he's doing really well. And um, it's, I think, the similar kind of thing with the positivity and the right mindset like you've got, that you can almost achieve anything. Yes, definitely. I found that it, it, even during Epic, I would, there'd be moments when I would be uh, having a hard time and then I would just stop and then have to create my mindset that, okay, let's just keep going to the top of the hill. And then just doing that would change your attitude completely and you'd feel better. And you and uh, the person you were riding with, Sassy, I think it was, were awarded the Absa Conquer as One title um, for one of the stages, and then you won the overall title after completing the event. I mean, that's that's quite an achievement. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was um, all the Absa riders. They voted uh, each evening or who would uh, win the, the moment of that day. And I think on the fifth stage, we were awarded it, and... Uh, yeah, the, the presenter at the Epic, he, very, he did a, told everybody about our team and raised the profile of what we were trying to achieve. And, um, yeah, it, it was quite an honor to be awarded that. Was this the first and only time, or are you planning on doing this again sometime in the future? Thing, funny enough, with uh, winning the Cockers one moment, you actually offered the opportunity to do it again. Um, but I declined, um, as it's very, uh, ch- like, on my whole family, everybody is quite a toll, quite taxing. So I was, I think, I was too young as, um, when I did it, but maybe in the next 10 years, I'll think about doing it again. I don't, I don't think uh, <laughs> the, the parents can handle another one. <laughs> <laughs> so you need a break, Barry. Never mind Jason who's got to ride the thing. You need a break from being behind the scenes, do you? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's quite something, um, you know, just juggling medicine and, mm. yeah, it, it was quite, it, it was a, a, a complete achievement for, by a complete team of from mom physicians. But the big point about him finishing it, it wasn't like training for seven months, which most people do. It's taken 20 years. Like yeah. 20 years of, of mom fizzing him at late at night, at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, looking up health foods and and living a positive life. And, and the, the doctors and the nurses and the physios and the nutritionists, all at the CF clinic in, at the Red Cross Hospital, they've done an awesome job in supporting us as a family. And, you know, it's a victory for everybody. And, and Professor Ireland, who, who came off sabbatical to, to take us into the you know, to, to admit us at first. And all these people have had a great impact and it's it's an, it's really a can we say it it's their victory as well to, to see a, a child that has been through their care that can achieve such a great thing. It must be great for them at the clinic at the Red Cross to see him do this. Yeah, um I must say they were incredibly supportive because you've got to get a the doctor to sign off that you're allowed to do the ethic. Mm. So that's the first hurdle, but they were very, very supportive. And the, the money that you're raising toward for the clinic, what are they using it for? Is there anything specific, or is it just for the awareness campaigns? What are they doing? Well, we we, we haven't quite discussed that with the association yet. We, we've got hopes that, that uh, you know, there's not one one testing unit in the whole of the Eastern Cape in the public hospital. So 
So the, the, the children and, and the black children that, that, are, that are dying, being misdiagnosed as having uh, TB. And, and the big thing is to try and get awareness out there. I mean, Jason was misdiagnosed, misdiagnosed by three pediatricians. Uh, we've had uh, numerous stories where, where pediatricians aren't picking up on this. So we need, really need to get it out to even doctors what the condition is uh, so that people can pick it up and, and, and children live a lot. You know, there's, there's a life to lead once you're born and, 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 to, and to be diagnosed and, and live it to the best that you can. But right now, there are kids out there that are dying being misdiagnosed for TB because they're not uh, testing units in the whole Eastern Cape isn't one. So I'm mm. hoping that we can get some training going in the Eastern Cape. And Jason, what is the future holding for you? What are your plans? Um, <clears throat> uh, well, currently I'm on a gap year, uh, which I decided to do uh, because of effort and that was my main focus. But now I'm just forcing my life out together and trying to figure out what I want to do next year. So it just takes some time off. I would imagine to recover from the epic takes a while, and then you can see what you want to do next year and have a, a you know, sort of see what your future holds and what you want to uh, spend the rest of your life doing. And what you've done in your first 20 years has inspired, I'm sure, a lot of people. So I'm sure you will continue to, whatever you do, you'll be continuing to inspire lots more people. Thank you very much. Eh? And uh, Barry, once again, as I said, you must be incredibly proud of the son of yours. No, I'm, um, I'm just, just really irritated that, that he still rides away from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, children have a habit of doing that, you know. Oh, no, oh, no. It's really you can't, you can't control these kids. I mean, honestly. But um, Jason and Barry, really, it's been an absolute joy speaking with you. Thank you so very much for your time this evening. And um, Jason, all the best for the future. And Barry, just take a rest before he tries to do this again. No, thank you very much. <laughs> and Jason, good luck with the future. And we'll, we'll look forward to seeing what you're doing next because I'm sure we'll be hearing lots more about you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And good luck with your fundraising, the double century in November. We'll hopefully see more about that in the press. Yeah, we will, we'll be working it. And your, you. your website's up and running now, just by the way, before you go. I had a look at it today, the cfcycling.co.za. People can go on there and have a look to see what you guys are doing. That's it. And we do have a fundraising link on the site. And you can just click on it. And uh, we, 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 it's all through give and gain. So, you know, it's, it's all... all Hundred percent legit, and uh, it, it's making it's you know all the donations help save a lot, and that's 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 the bottom line. Both of you, thank you very much indeed for joining me on the show this evening. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. I was Bye -bye. talking there with Jason Fontslot, who lives with cystic fibrosis, and his dad Barry, who, by all accounts, is exhausted after following Jason around on the ride. And um, for more information on Jason and cystic fibrosis, you can take a look at their website. It's www.cfcycling.co.za. Health Matters with Karen Key. Well, June is World Blood Donor Month and the South African National Blood Service is running a campaign along with some of the many South Africans who've survived serious health issues thanks to receiving donated blood. Kanilwe Mokhoko is a recipient of blood having been involved in a serious motor vehicle accident and she joins me now. Kanilwe, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you on the show. I believe you're one of those uh, ambassadors for the National Blood Service because you had a terrible accident. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, the accident was in 2009. Mm -hmm. It's quite a few years back. But um, I was driving on um, the road between Johannesburg and Artebiesport. So 
um, there was a vehicle that was trying to uh, overtake like multiple cars at the same time, and I was coming from the opposite direction, so it, it was actually um, a head-on collision. Oh. So this vehicle went into me, but you know, at the point of um, the collision. I felt like all my senses died. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't even see anything. You know, I just went blank. Only to uh, finally come around and and just feel a big freeze. So I discovered then that I couldn't reach for my phone. So obviously something was very, very wrong until someone came and... You know, tried to speak to me and, you know, they called the ambulance and so forth. But the only thing I could do was call out my own number. So, you know, after that accident happened, the next thing I knew I was in the hospital. I saw a few faces and then I went blank. That was actually because I was bleeding to death. And, you know, when you're bleeding to death, you have no, 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 you are not aware of what is happening to you until you come back out. So I fell into coma, and a month later, when I woke up, I had no idea of what happened to me or where I was. You know, my mind wasn't there, and I had a lot of machines around me. I couldn't speak. I couldn't move. I discovered later that I had a car accident, and the car accident had fractured my body from my hips to my ankles mm. and both of my arms. So I couldn't walk and I couldn't use my hands. It meant that I was going to be bound to a wheelchair. And, you know, through um, learning about my body and what the capabilities were, you know, once you're disabled, you learn a lot more. You find out a lot more about what you've got, a lot, what you've got left. And, you know, you try to use what it is that you still have got left. For some reason, I believed that I was going to walk again, and I believed that I was going to write, and I believed that I was going to bring up my son. I have um, a child who had his first birthday two days after the car accident. Oh, my goodness. So his birthday actually happened while I was in coma. And he started walking when... I was still in um, ICU. So I missed quite a few of his milestones, and that motivated me. It really motivated me to come around and experience everything with him. Sadly for me, I was learning to walk when he had just started walking. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so it was a bit of a contradiction. Mm. Um, it, it was very emotional, you know, because the last time I left him, he didn't know how to walk. Next thing, he's running into the ward. He's running <laughs> to my bed. And I'm thinking, should I cry or should I laugh? <laughs> <laughs> so I learned a lot from him as well because he was a very strong little boy. Obviously, he couldn't recognize me with the bruises mm. and the machines and not be able to hold him. And he must have just thought, this is not my mom. So I had this this serious obsession to get out of the bed and a serious obsession to get out of the wheelchair. You know, all I knew is that this is not me. 
there's a reason for it, and I'm going to get me back. There's one thing I really, really couldn't stand. It was a mirror. <laughs> you know, mm. every time somebody came and looked at me, I felt that they saw something else. Because people walked in and they cried, or people walked in and they just looked so depressed. I thought, I must be in such bad shape. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's been such a journey, such an amazing, incredible, incredibly painful, incredibly um, enlightening journey that I wouldn't want to repeat it yet. I wouldn't want to not be in it. How are you now, Kanewe? Um, at this point, um, I've come a long way. I did go through occupational therapy. I went through hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Mm. I went through physiotherapy, and I made it out of the wheelchair, which is a dream come true. I've learned to write again, um, and um, I'm learning to write books. Wow. Um, I've managed to publish my story. So, you know, through from the very beginning, when the first lifesaver was the blood donation because I was, you know, bleeding to death, to where I am now, there has been so many um, learning sessions with the South African blood services people that I cannot leave them out of my story. Did you, you know, know about blood, did you know about blood donation before you had the accident? Yes, I had blood, donated blood three times. Oh, so you were a donor. Oh, okay, so you were a and donor. I had been passionate about donating blood. The only thing that got in the way before the three times that I donated was my weight. Because if you're not 50 kgs and over, you cannot donate. Mm, that's right, that's right. You know, and as soon as I had a child, I had you know, gain some weight, and I thought, yes, now I can donate. But just after I donated, I got into an accident only to realize that it's me who needs the blood now. Yeah. You know, and it takes you into a different seat from being the donator to being the receiver. There are so many people who donate blood, like at one blood donation event that you cannot know who it, whose blood it is that you've received. So I was lucky enough that um, South African Blood Services have, you know, invited me to so many um, donor uh, award ceremonies and peer, promote, peer promoters where the youngsters motivate each other, to, each other to donate blood and they teach each other what it's all about, that I've had so many opportunities to say thank you. And it's only through them that I realize that my gift is bigger than just having my life back. My gift is also to give, to give to others that knowledge that I've learned about donating blood. I could have otherwise not been here, you know, because I had eight operations and each and every operation required blood because during a serious operation, you lose blood as well. Mm. And... The day I discovered that I received blood was when I was sitting in my sick bed and decided to open up my bowl from, from the hospital. And when um, one day I went for a checkup, I just went into the blood bank and I said, please tell me how much blood is 
in this bill, you know, for Sandbus. And the gentleman at the counter said, wait a minute, let me calculate it. And he says, this makes about four liters of blood. Wow. Now, this is what I know now. But I didn't, I'm not aware of those bills that I didn't have, that I didn't get. So I don't know what the total really is. Because four liters of blood is all the knowledge I have. And if someone is bleeding to death and they receive four liters of blood, you know, what about the blood that is left in the car? How many liters was that? <laughs> and just think how many people it took to, to have all that blood available for you. And how many people is it? Because a prince saved seven lives. Yeah. And that's a little bit over two cups. Mm. You know? So if a little over two cups can save seven lives, my, my blood came from how many lives? You know, so that is why each time um, I get an opportunity, I don't just stand and say my story. I will say my, I will say my gratitude over and over and over again. And the bottom line here, though, Kanilwe, is that you were a donor. As you said, you gave blood three times. But it's, it's something that saved your life, and it could possibly save other people out there if they're listening to this and hadn't really thought about it like that, that you could be in an accident. And just think about it. If everybody else thought, like, some people, oh, well, I'm not really going to bother, there wouldn't have been any blood for, for, there for, to save your life. Absolutely. So if we don't donate blood in the first place, how many lives are dying? Mm. How many people are sitting and not donating, and because of that, people dying? Because remember, there's a time, there's a time uh, during the year, there are good years and bad years for Sandbus. There are times when there's just not enough blood. And you know the group O blood is the blood that you can give to any type yes. of blood. Whoever is losing blood can get group O blood. But how many people out there are group O blood, the blood that can save any type, but do not donate? Well, if you're listening to this, please, you know, this is, as you heard Kanil always say, if, if all of those people hadn't donated blood, she wouldn't be on the radio talking with us this evening. So, you know, I'm glad she is. So maybe you, you would like to think about that this evening and, and make some inquiries. I'll give you all the contact details in a moment. But I think it's something that we should all be thinking about this year, especially with winter now coming or in the in winter now. And obviously they, they, they often need a lot of blood now in winter and their school holidays and a lot of the and universities are closing and and. People aren't donating because often those the, the vans go to the schools or to the universities or whatever it is. And we need you to go and make inquiries to go and donate blood at one of the offices because there's lots of them all over the place, all over the country. You can go and do this. Kanilwe, it's been wonderful chatting with you, and I'm so glad that you're on the road to recovery. Keep it up, and I'd like, like to catch up with you again in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Okay, Thanks. donate. Yeah, absolutely. Good night. Bye-bye. <laughs> Kanilwe Mokogo is a recipient of blood, having been involved in a serious motor vehicle accident. And if you'd like to find out more about becoming a blood donor, take a look at the website. It's sanbs.org.za, or you can call them toll-free on 0800 119031. 0800-119031. The winter nights in Grahamstown will be getting a whole lot hotter in July when the Standard Bank Jazz Festival returns featuring artists from 15 countries. 
With SAFM as the official radio partner, you won't miss a second of the best live jazz to take the stage this year. Featuring Lionel Lueke, the Stockholm Jazz Orchestra, Standard Bank Young Artist Nduduzo Makatini, Ray Piri, Bittenberg and Oliver Mdukudi. Make sure you book now at nationalartsfestival.co.za and join SAFM in Grahamstown from the 2nd to the 11th of July for the Standard Bank Jazz Festival. Health Matters with Karen Key. Voluntary medical male circumcision is a once-off procedure that reduces the risk of HIV infection by 60 during heterosexual sex. Combined with other preventative measures such as consistent condom use, regular HIV testing, reduction in sexual partners and delaying sexual debut, it's as close as we can be to an HIV vaccine for now and could give our country an AIDS-free generation within 20 years. Joining me now is Marina Rifkin and she's a researcher from CareWorks HIV Management who delivered a paper on medical male circumcision and the role of data in helping understand HIV at the recent HIV conference in Durban. And we'll also be joined on the line by Sia Bonga Zuma and he's a young man who decided to go the medical male circumcision route. Marina, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening to you and your listeners. It's a pleasure to be here. Right. So medical male circumcision, you delivered the paper. What did you say at the conference? So I represent an organization called CareWorks, and we are an HIV prevention care and treatment organization focusing primarily among targeting men. Um, as medical male circumcision is an initiative that men can undergo to contribute towards an AIDS-free generation, we at CareWorks work in communities and workplaces to generate demand for medical male circumcision. What we found is that providing services is not enough to get men to walk through the door to access these services. And using a data-driven approach, we can see why men access services and what are the barriers that prevent men from accessing these services. So what is it that prevents them from accessing the services? It depends on the age of the man. Oh. Um, we have found very interestingly that young men, young boys age 15 to 19, are very keen to go undergo medical male circumcision, while it's much more difficult to get older men age 45 to 49. And we believe, looking at our data, this is because young men have social enablers, such as supportive parents, such as supportive teachers and principals and a peer support group, whereas older men, who oftentimes are in the labor force, um, are not able to access the services because they're often offered during working hours and they cannot take time off from work to utilize these services. But there is a role that business can play here. Absolutely. Um, we have found immense support from businesses who open their doors and promote MMC within their workforces and actually can give time off to their employees to undergo medical male circumcision. And we found in those situations, we do see uptake of circumcision amongst these older men. Now, the one thing, whenever I've spoken about medical male circumcision is to stress the point that it's not a week in hospital, it's not a major event, you don't have to take a whole lot of time off. Just tell men exactly how simple this whole procedure is. So medical male circumcision is a once-off medically uh, administered procedure that takes between 20 and 30 minutes. It, it does not take time off. It does not involve a hospital admission. Mission. It involves a little bit of pain, maybe a little bit of bleeding, but really you can go home within an hour or two with over-the-counter pain medication and as long as you adhere to proper wound care and abstain from sex for six weeks following the MMC, um, you're in pretty good shape. I think it's really important that men who are interested in undergoing circumcision understand that it is paramount to abstain from sex after MMC for a 
about six weeks. Um, this is because we see most of the complications that occur following circumcision are because men resume sexual activity too early or they don't care for their wound in that post-operative period. Now, I mentioned in the beginning that having a, a circumcision, a medical male circumcision, can reduce the risk of HIV infection by 60% during heterosexual sex. What other benefits are there it, to having this? It, it's unbelievable. I was, I was quite shocked even having read that and then having said it, I thought, gosh, 60% is incredibly high. It also reduces the risk of acquiring other common sexually transmitted infections as well as penile cancer. And there are also benefits to the female partners of circumcised men in terms of a reduction in human papillomavirus, which is the leading cause of cervical cancer. Um, so aside from the individual benefit, there's also a public health benefit. If we can get 80% of men age 15 to 49 circumcised by the end of 2016, we could avert up to a million new HIV infections by 2025 and save 50 billion rand in HIV-related care and treatment costs. So it's staggering the benefits of MMC for South Africa. Now, there's, there's been a lot of controversy over the last few years about doing circumcision for babies. It's a case of, well, how, you know, who gives the parent the right to make that decision. What are your feelings on that? Um, I personally believe that there is a role for infant circumcision in the long-term strategy in South Africa. But right now, to see uh, prevention of infections now and in the near future, we really need to target males aged 15 to 49. These are the males that are currently sexually active and are becoming sexually active. And as we know, HIV is a sexually transmitted infection. And if we want to see the impact now, we need to focus on those that are sexually active. And there's also been a lot of talk about if you encouraging something like this, what about the traditional circumcision? What is your feeling on that? Because the two could work together very well. Absolutely. And I think the key is marrying the HIV prevention benefits of medical male circumcision while still preserving and, and acknowledging the tr rich tradition of traditional circumcision. And there are initiatives underway in South Africa in which traditional leaders and structures are working with the Department of Health and medical providers to try to make traditional circumcision and all circumcisions as safe as possible. Now, the one thing that sometimes people get a little bit confused about, now we said here at the beginning that it can reduce mm -hmm. the transmission of HIV in heterosexual sex by 60%. Well, then what's the use of wearing a condom as well? Then why do we still have to do that? So you get that? I'm just, this is me absolutely. repeating what I hear. Um, so MMC reduces but does not eliminate the risk of acquiring HIV. Um, it is only one element in a combination prevention approach, which includes condom use, which includes treatment of sexually transmitted infections, which includes behavior change, such as partner reduction, encouraging young people to de uh, delay sexual debut, as well as encouraging and promoting antiretroviral treatment for those that are eligible. So it's not a case of if you have one, you don't need to do anything else. It's not a, this isn't the fix it, be all and end all thing. No, it's not a 100% effective HIV vaccine. I like to use the analogy of when we're driving a car, we don't just wear a seatbelt. We wear a seatbelt, we don't drink and drive, and we go the speed limit. And all of those in combination promote safe road use. And I, I like to say the same thing for HIV prevention. Different approaches work for different people. Not everybody wants to undergo MMC. Not everybody can use condoms consistently and all the time. Not everyone has access to treatment of sexually transmitted infections. But taken in combination at high enough coverage for the population, we can see a real impact in preventing infections. And within, within all of this, can we talk about the multiplier effect, just so that people have some idea of what that's all about? Absolutely. Um, if you assume that 
and these are assumptions, that one HIV-infected person could infect five additional people, and these are not real numbers. If you can provide medical male circumcision, then you have a man who does not necessarily transmit to other people. Over many, many years, you have less people transmitting HIV, who in turn transmit to less people, who in turn transmit to less people, and eventually we hope that we can curb HIV transmission altogether. Right, so we're joined on the line now by Sia Bonga Zuma, and he's a young man who has undergone male medical circumcision. Sia Bonga, good evening. Welcome to the show. Now, it's very nice to have you on the line because we're talking about young men like yourselves, like yourself, who basically need to um, be able to do something like this and not be worried about what other people are, are having to say about it. I mean, how did you get around this? What, what did your family and your friends say when you decided that you were going to have this done? Sorry. Can you hear me, Sia Bonga? Can you repeat again? I want to know what your family and friends had to say when you decided that you were going to have this done. My family was so very happy. They even encouraged me to to go for medical for medical medicine. And they also asked not about medical medicine and she explained to them they were so very happy. Where did you hear about male medical circumcision? Where, where do you? Where did you find out about this? How did you know about it? It was told by my. It was. It was told by my. By my next door friend, you know, Dobe Warate, who is a mobilizer at, at CareWorks. Oh, okay. So your next door friend was actually working for CareWorks. So this is what you would call Marina the the peer interaction. Absolutely, and this we see this throughout many of our programs that the positive peer pressure of young people talking to other young people about the benefits of circumcision has so much power in encouraging people to undergo circumcision. Are you talking to other people as well, Nasia Bonga? Are you telling your other friends about this? Yes, yes, I tell other friends about this. So they're also now going off to go and have this done? Sorry? Are they also going to go and have this done? Yeah, yes, I told the friend, so firstly, you must believe in yourself because the future is in your hands. Second thing is a good to your health. And it is, is six weeks. Till after that, enjoyment takes place. I will send this message in you to do second thing. Remember, the future is in your hands. You and me, you can make a better future in this hour. And have, are you happy with the result? Was everything okay for you? Did you have any problems afterwards? Yes, everything is okay. Everything is okay. And you're yes. not telling other people. I love this message that the future is in your hands. I think that is a wonderful message, Sia Bonga. Yes, thanks. But thank you. It's really, and, and this must make your heart very glad, Marina. <laughs> Marina's almost thing. in tears here. <laughs> She's so happy to listen to you. This is what we we need more people like Sia Bonga out there. Absolutely, and I think it's not only Men's Health Awareness Month, it's also Youth Month, mm. and, and medical male circumcision is something young men can do to contribute towards an AIDS-free generation. Um, I, I believe a lot of our HIV programs really don't include men at sufficient levels, and this is an intervention that men can be very proud of, of taking their part, helping their partners, their families, their future families, and each other um, to really working towards get together towards an age-free generation.
it was very nice to hear, Bonga, that your family was so supportive and so happy that you were going to have this done. Yeah, I yes. You were very lucky because I think a lot of people wouldn't have had the same kind of support, Marina. I think Sia Bongo was lucky. He was very lucky um, to have positive, we call it positive peer mm. pressure um, and supportive relationships that encourage positive health-seeking behavior. And when friends can talk to each other about the challenges they face, their fears, um, and, and young men like Sia Bonga can help his friends, what did the procedure involve? Oftentimes there's a lot of fear about the pain involved or, you know, it's a, they say it's a very minor surgery, but it's a very minor surgery on a very important part of a man's body. Um, and I'm not a man and I don't have a penis, but somebody like Sia Bonga talking to his peers and his community has a lot of power. Have you thought about becoming a peer um, person like your next door friend was and would you like to be someone like him see bonga would you like to, would you like to also be um what what do they call them a peer advocate or a peer you're like your friend next door who helped you would you like to help other people like that yeah yes, yes, yes. so have you spoken to him about also becoming one of those types of people yeah of course okay so this is this is what you we need to get this as a groundswell though marina this we ha is we absolutely i mean since the inception of the medical male circumcision program in 2009 over two million men have decided to undergo voluntary medical wow, that's, that's a big no, bigger it, number than i thought it's amazing um on the flip side it, we have ambitious targets the national department of health has set a target of circumcising 4.3 million men by the end of december 2016 and in order to reach these targets it's all hands on deck we have to figure out what motivates men to undergo circumcision we have to make accessing services as easy as possible for men and we have to design programs around the health seeking behaviors of men we need to take services to the workplaces and the schools where these men can be found um, and we need to find ways to make it easy for them to access. One of the issues we find with young men particularly is they don't have the taxi fare to access circumcision. It seems very as simple as that. As, as simple as that. It seems insignificant, but if you're a 20-year-old unemployed man, 40 rand to take a taxi to a clinic and back is a reason for you not to accept a life-saving procedure that you want to accept. So there are many organizations throughout South Africa that are working with the Department of Health to provide transportation to for young men to access these services. There are also many organizations that bring the services, whether it's a, a mobile van um, or a mobile clinic, to the occupational health unit of a workplace or to the campus of a institution of higher learning. Um, and these more creative and these procedures can be done on site. Absolutely. You need wow. a, a sterile environment, but you do not need an operating theater. Do you um, have to go to a hospital per No, se. you do not. It's done under local anesthesia. Like I said, it's a 20 to 30 minute procedure. Um, and it's, it's really as simple as that. Um, it does require some proper wound care and some education, but your medical provider will provide you with the information on how to take care of yourself after um, the circumcision. And it's important to return to the clinic within four, about approximately 48 hours after the circumcision to make sure that healing is occurring and that you're not developing any complications. Sia Bonga, yes. did you go to a hospital or did you go to one of the clinics that came to where you were? Sorry? Did you go into a hospital to have it done or did you go somewhere else? Yeah, did you go to the hospital? You went to the hospital? And it, how did they treat you very well there? Was it fine there? 
Uh, they treat me very well. And how long were you in the hospital for? Six weeks. No, you weren't in there for six weeks. How long when you had it when you had the operation? How long before you could go home? How long for? Before you went home. For what? Miss? Did you go home on the same day? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yes. You went home on the same day, and then you just went back again after six weeks, so they could check that everything was okay. Yeah, yes. And everything was fine. Everything was fine. Was Oh, that, that's good. Okay. So what is recommended is that men who undergo medical male circumcision go back after two days and then go back again after seven days. And that oh, okay. is really so that healthcare providers can ensure that the wound is healing and that you don't develop adverse events. And if you've had it done in a mobile clinic, what do you do? Will the mobile clinic be back again in that time? Oftentimes they do. So in some situations, the mobile clinic will come on a Friday and then come back on a Monday. Oh, right. Okay. In other situations, the mobile clinic will come on a Friday, and then the Department of Health will provide the follow-up services. So there are a variety of models in South Africa, depending on the environment, depending on is it a rural area, is it a city, um, really trying to design service delivery to suit the, the user and make a, as positive a, of a user experience as possible. Because what we are finding is the, the peer referral really depends on having a good experience well, when you Sia undergo. Well, Bonga seems to have treated him very well there, and he seemed quite happy with that. We so love to hear that. That's good. That's very good. <laughs> now, one other thing that people, I think, are concerned about, Marina, is the cost. So medical male circumcision in South Africa is 100% mahala. Um, oh, not much is these days. Right. There it's we go. free. Your follow-up <laughs> visits are free. Um, it's, a, it's a real wonderful service that the Department of Health is providing along with its partners. Um, it's important for the country. It's worth investing money in. Circumcision along with the provision of condoms, antiretroviral therapy, and social behavior change communication are cost-effective strategies to help us really um, turn the tide of this in disease in South Africa. Now, the nice thing as well is, is that there is a toll-free number that you can send a free please call me to, and then a counselor will get back to you. Now, what exactly do they do? Is that just if you're wanting more information or if you want to find out where there could possibly be a clinic? What do they do? All of the above. All of the above. Okay. Um, recognizing that males make health-seeking decisions a little differently than women, we try to make it as easy as possible for the man. And this means that we do not expect you to spend your own money to get more information because is that the best use of your airtime? Maybe not. So what we ask those who are interested in undergoing circumcision is to send a please free call me to 0606-800-800 and an MMC counselor will call you back during business hours to explain more about the procedure, provide information on where you can access services, help you book services, as well as help facilitate transport in certain circumstances. Gosh, that's a one-stop shop. We the, the purpose of the program is to try to make it as easy as possible. Um, the services are there. The men who want to access these services are there. And how do we link them together? We consider ourselves at CareWorks a proactive MMC sales force. <laughs> um, and our call center is staffed by counselors who understand HIV, but are also tele-agents who really um, do a lot of logistics support, booking support, reminders, SMS reminders. Um, you might not show up to your appointment, so we'll call you back and try to reschedule you into services. Really, it's all hands on deck to try to get the outcome that we desire, which is a successful and safe medical male circumcision. You couldn't make this any easier for the men if you tried. 
We probably could. <laughs> I'm sure that. there are creative, new creative <laughs> solutions, and we are working on them. <laughs> gosh, I doubt that because, gosh, it's really all there. I mean, I'll give out the number again, and you just need to send a please, a free please call me, and somebody will call you back. And there's also a website as well if you're wanting to go and have a look. If you want more information mm. on the scientific background or what the World Health Organization has to say about medical male circumcision or what the randomized trials that found that MMC was gave you 60% protection, um, it has a wealth of information. But if you're actually interested in undergoing MMC, I'd suggest you call, to call that's, the, yeah, the, the call that's, number. Yeah, that's the call number. This actually, is just, not call. Send a please send a call please, me. A free please call exactly. me. Exactly. It must be free. Right. And the website is really if you want more background information if you're just interested to find out what you know all those statistics are about and all the data and everything else is all about that will all be on there i'm assuming and the website is www.mmcinfo.co.za couldn't be simpler <laughs> see bongo are you still with us there Pardon? are you still with us there you're still there I just want you, before we go, I want you just to tell me again what you'd like all those men out there to, to know, what you what you told me in the beginning. Where is the world is in our hands, you said. Firstly, you must not believe in yourself because the future is in your hands. Circumcising is a good to your health, and it is, is six weeks. In after that, after that, enjoyment takes place. I will send this message in your synthesis. Remember, the future is in your hands. You and me, you can make a greater future in our country. This is the last message. Well, what more can you say? I mean, that pretty much says it all, you know, and we need more people like that. How do we go? How do you go about appointing these peer? What do you call them? We call them uh, MMC mobilizers. Mobilizers, and we okay. do. I mean, use the right word, peer. We have found that the best people to talk to young men about medical male circumcision are the young men. Are other young men? Um, you need that peer relationship and to understand the situation. I would be a horrible mobilizer. Um, <laughs> but Siobonga <laughs> is a great. A great champion of medical Absolutely. male circumcision. And having been there himself, that's what the and whole he, thing he is about. he really can put other men at ease mm -hmm. um, to overcome the fear. And I think that's a big barrier to accessing mm -hmm. circumcision is the fear of the unknown. Absolutely. Um, and somebody like Siobong, who's been through it, can help his friends hold their hand to understand that the benefits far outweigh the fear that they have. Absolutely. Well, Siobonga, thank you very much for joining us on the show this evening. And Marina, thank you very much for coming through to the studio this evening. It was a pleasure. Siobonga, thank you very much. Thank you. Good night to you. Marina Rifkin is a researcher from CareWorks HIV Management who delivered a paper on medical male circumcision and the role of data in helping understand HIV at the recent HIV conference in Durban. And Siobonga Zuma is a young man who decided to go the medical male circumcision route and by all accounts is now going to be telling everybody about how good this is to do. This is a really good thing to do. Well, for more information and to find out where you or a friend can undergo free male medical circumcision, you can send a free please call me to 06 06 800 800 